it. As those guys head in, I was just going to remind you of where we are. We've been talking about how in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, the writer of Hebrews said that, um, um, that we have to believe, there's two things that we must believe to, 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 to please God. One is, is that um, there is a God, and the second is that we have to believe that he's a rewarder of those who, who seek him. So we've been talking through the series called The Rewarder, um, talking about God, and um, anyway, so that's kind of where we're, what the, the series is about. Uh, three weeks ago, we got to talk about the Laodiceans. Remember, the Laodiceans were, were very wealthy, and they had, uh, did not realize that they had any need for God. They had so much wealth that they had security, they had significance, they had all of these things, but because they had um, so much wealth, they didn't know their need for God. And Jesus um, speaks through John, and he tells them uh, in his letter, he says uh, that they be, had become lukewarm in their faith and that he was about to spew them out of his mouth. Um, and Jesus told him, you want true riches, you come to me. You want real clothes to cover your shame, uh, you come to me to receive that. If you want, uh, you, you need salve for your eyes so that you can have your eyes healed so that you can see how, where you are truly spiritually, uh, where you're at. And then last, or two weeks ago, we got to talk about how uh, the parables that Jesus uh, told about the treasure in the field and the, and the pearl of great price, the pearl of great value, and we uh, talked about this a couple weeks ago, but we realized that it is Jesus Christ himself, it is the gospel, it is God himself who is the treasure in the field. It is the kingdom of God that is the treasure in the field, that is the, the uh, pearl of great value. And we talked about the, 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 the point of the parables is that if you lose everything, but you gain Christ, then you're truly blessed in this life. Amen? Amen. Um, Hard to remember sometimes, but we are truly blessed in this life if we found Jesus Christ. All right. Um, I wanted to, to, today, I wanted to talk you through this thing, is that there is from the beginning of the Old Testament all the way through the end of the New Testament, there is this theme about, uh, about people seeking God. And there's this really, throughout the scriptures, it says over and over and over again in different ways, in different contexts, and all the way from Moses writing to the prophets, uh, to what Jesus said, to what the, uh, the, what the apostles said, that if you seek God, you, he will be found by you. If you look for him, he will be found by you. Now, let me, let me back up and say, God could be completely elusive to us if he wanted to, right? He could hide himself from us because of our great sin, because we've turned away from him, because of what Isaiah said was, you know, that everyone's turned away from him. No one follows him. No one pursues him. No one chased after him. And because of all that, he could elude, uh, he could elude us. He could, he could put his, his hand against us and say, no one is worthy of following or pursuing or chasing after me. No one. And he would be right. But the great thing about our God being our great rewarder and being our great treasure and being the, the, the pearl of great value, he is findable, right? He can be found. This is pretty profound stuff when you think about it because the God who cannot really be fully explained, the God who is, 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 is incredibly majestic in his power and honor and glory makes himself available to be found by us. Let me tell you a, a quick story. Um, one time, uh, my kids, when they were little, um, actually this happened like, uh, like, like a week ago, not really. Uh, my kids, whenever they were little, um, we, we would play hide-and-go-seek. And you know, hide-and-go-seek for kids, sometimes they don't really get games. Um, I remember one time we were over at my folks' house, and, uh, and my dad was playing hide-and-go-seek with them, and, and uh, they came to, to my dad, and they said, 
Grandpa, we're, we're going to play, you know, we'll play hide-and-go-seek, and I'm going to be hiding in the spare bedroom so <laughs> you can find me, you know. And, uh, and then that way, yeah, I don't know why they thought that that's why you played the game, but anyway, they, they thought they're, they, you told them, and then it was all in the surprise somehow of finding them when they told them where, where they were going to be. That's kind of funny, isn't it? But, uh, but it's very similar to how God is. He, he, he says, if you look for me, you'll find me. I'll make myself findable to you. Now, again, I cannot describe the distance and the difference between us and God. I, I, I could stand here the rest of the day today and tell you we are poor, pitiful, naked, and blind, like, he said to the, like Jesus wrote to the Laodiceans, and he is holy and set apart and distinctly different from us. Very true. And he could have eluded us, and he could have said, I don't want to have anything to do with the mess that is knowing you people. He could have been that way, but he says instead, I will make myself findable by you. You can know the great treasure of knowing me. You can, you can know me. You can, you can be involved in what I'm doing. You can, you can come to be known by me, and I will be known by you. And the really amazing part of the scriptures is it says, basically in Revelations, it says that God's whole goal maybe in all of this is that he could be present with his people because he overcame their sins, and made them holy because of what Je- the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Uh, those are amazing, uh, incredible thoughts, amazing stuff. Uh, I pray we just get it one day. But, uh, uh, but anyway, apart from the teaching of the Holy Spirit, it's just lost on us, I know. But, um, so let's just take a moment. Would you pray? Would you, let's just stop here for just a moment. Let's pray together. Um, I don't know if we realize this, but um, it is not just by intellect that we gain more of Christ. True. Do you know some really smart people who know the scriptures very well, whose hearts are far away from God? It is not just by gaining understanding of the, of the scriptures that we uh, come to know Christ or we grow in our maturity as Christians. It is a work of the Holy Spirit using the scriptures and applying them in our lives. Uh, and it doesn't happen apart from him, from his work in us. So let's take a moment and pray together. As, as I pray for us, would you just pray for yourself? Lord God, we pray this morning that you would open our eyes and our ears to hear the message, Lord, from your scripture this morning. Um, Father, not that, I'm a, not that I have a, an ability to preach or teach, Father, uh, not that I have all that to, to bring, but, but Lord, it, it's got to be you. If we come here and, and I just say some things and you're not here present, uh, revealing and, and changing and transforming us, Lord, then, then really all of this is for nothing. Uh, and so, Father, we, we ask and we just say, we just want to confess to you, we need your work in our lives. We need the work of your Holy Spirit doing the transforming work on our minds and our hearts, Lord God. Uh, I pray that you'd be making changes in our, in our lives, that, that, uh, you, that we would have greater affection for Jesus Christ, a greater love for him. Uh, and, uh, and a greater change in our minds about the things that we pursue in this life, the things that we're excited about, the things that we celebrate even. Uh, and Lord, we pray that those things would be a pursuit of you. Uh, help us, Lord, we pray. Uh, we just confess that we need that today. Be present with us, Lord, we pray, and, and, uh, and help us. It's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29 says this, but if from where you, from, I'm sorry, but if from there, you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. Isn't that great? This is a promise, and it's repeated all the way from, from the writings of Moses through the writings of John and Revelation. If you look for me, if you seek me, you, I will be found by you. And he says it over and over and over again. But the point is this, is that God 
must be pursued. He must be pursued. Um, and the problem really is, is that not that God is so distant that he's made himself unknown. The problem's not that God, you know, he's given us his word. He's given us his scripture. And even in the, the, Paul's writing in Romans, says that, that God's given us creation to point to him so that people could know his divine nature. So that even someone who didn't have the word of God could still know something about him and seek after him because what's revealed even through nature and all of us have seen something of nature, some of the, the miraculous work uh, of God in nature. Uh, and it's supposed to be pointing us to him. The problem is, though, is that his people, despite their knowledge, have not pursued him. Despite the knowledge of God, they have not pursued him. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 11 and through 13, would you turn there with me? If you have your Bible with you. Jeremiah chapter 2. This is, we've, I've kind of been hitting around with this verse um, every every week, but Jeremiah chapter 2. I've read to you before, but I want you to see it. I want you to mark it in your Bible. This is important stuff. Jeremiah chapter 2 in verse 11 says this. Has a nation, this is a charge that, that, that God is bringing through the prophet Jeremiah against the people of Israel. And this is the charge. This is him speaking through Jeremiah. He says, has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all, but my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Okay, what's he saying here in verse 11? He's saying, has anyone, has any nation ever changed its God? And of course, you've got to go back in that time and remember that people, as people groups would get together and they would, they would come together and one of the things that brought them together is they would worship their God and, and this people group would worship their God and when they were at war with each other and one nation, you know, uh, overthrew another nation, then it was apparent to everyone that their God was greater than the people who were destroyed, right? So everyone kind of had their own little deities, their own little gods and uh, the problem with the people of Israel is, of course, as they marched around to other nations, the Phoenicians, the Babylonians, uh, the Canaanites, and all of those people, they started saying, huh, well, that's kind of a cool God. That, that, you know, Baal's kind of cool, so they start worship Baal, or they start doing other things, and God says, has a nation ever changed in its God? You know, you kind of get this idea of going to the returns part in Walmart, going to the service desk, and saying, yeah, I bought this, but this isn't what I want. I want this instead. It's kind of that deal. It's kind of an exchange. exchange the glory, the glory of Israel for a worthless idol, right? Okay. And of course, we look at those folks and say, oh my goodness, you know, how, how in the world could you possibly? And in verse 12, it says, be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. Verse 13, my people have committed two sins. One, they have forsaken me, the spring of living, living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot Hold water. All right. So what's he say in the first part of verse thirteen? He says he says that God has been that he says they have forsaken me. Okay, amazing, incredible thought. The glory of Israel, the the God who brought them out of Egypt, the God who delivered them, the God who sustained them there in the desert. That God, he says, they forsook me. They have forsaken me. That word forsaken means that they left me behind. They abandoned me, or they deserted me. They left me alone, and they went on, and they worshipped other gods. They forsook him. And listen to what God says. It's appalling. It's horrifying, right, what they've done to God, because he is, he refers to himself as two things. He says, I am the glory of Israel, and I'm the spring of living water. 
and they forsook me in exchange for the pursuit of worthless idols. You know, we read this and we can, it's easy to think that people of the Old Testament, oh, you know, you foolish Israelites, how could you forsake God for something that's made out of stone or something that's made out of wood? Uh, and of course, that's all, uh, it's all there in the, I, I love some of the things in the, in the, in the, uh, in the Old Testament, some of the prophets writing. He says, uh, some of the prophets write, you guys carve a piece of wood and you worship an idol and with the rest of the wood, you burn it to make a fire and yet you worship the piece of wood. Or, and he says, you know, or you guys uh, worship things, created things like cows that eat grass, you know, for crying out loud, and you worship those things and they says, you know, can't you see how ridiculous this all is? Um, and we think that the, old, the folks in the Old Testament had such a problem with idol worship. I, I said this so many times, but let me say it again. The problem, the reason that the Old Testament is fraught with ideas about idolatry is because this is a problem for all of mankind. It's a problem for us today. And I'm not talking about you back in your teens or your 20s that you had this problem of forsaking God. I'm saying this week, this month, you and I have forsaken God and we've looked and pursued other things to satisfy us and to find significance in our lives. True? It's true. This is a problem with mankind. We know the truth about God. We know that there is nothing on earth. We know that there's nothing worth pursuing like the pursuit of him, but we pursue other things anyway, right? Um, and Martin Luther said this. He says, that to which your heart clings is your God. That to which your heart clings is your God. So, you know, we read passages like this in the Old Testament. We say, oh, foolish Israelites. Well, listen, we don't have to look any further than our own noses to realize is that we as mankind, we have a problem. We don't worship God like we should, right? Which is what Isaiah says over and over and over again. No one looked for him. No one sought God out. Even though they could see in the word of God, so even though they could see in the creation, everyone could see it all along. Everyone could see his glory and no one sought him. No one sought him, and instead we look for other things to fulfill us, uh, things that our hearts cling to to make us feel significant in this life. Uh, but here's the incredible thing is that God won't take second place to anything. You know this about him? He will not take second place to anything. He won't take second place to our pursuit of wealth. He won't take second place to our busy lives. He won't take second place to anything at all. True? Um, the Bible says ten different times that God is a jealous God. Uh, or that his people have made him jealous when they've sought after other gods. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 14, it says, of course, do not worship any other god for the Lord, whose name is what? Whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. Now listen, when you and I are jealous, it's a bad thing. When God is jealous, it's good and right and perfect, right? Because when God is jealous, he's in a place where he can be jealous, and it's good for us to be, for him to be jealous, because when he's jealous, he says, no, 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 you're looking everywhere in the wrong spot. You're looking for love in all the wrong places, as the old song used to go, and you're supposed to be looking for it right here. You lo are looking for me. I am the one that you're looking for, and he is a jealous God. Here's the thing. When we look when we're looking in every place except for God, when we're looking for other things to satisfy us, to fulfill us, to make us feel significant or secure or safe or whatever, when we're looking for, to those other things, there is a cost. It always comes at a cost. You hear me? 
This is not something that we get away with scot-free. It always comes up at a cost. God never allows himself to come in second place where it doesn't cost us something. And the truth is this, is that you and I, we will never know the fullness of God without pursuing him. All right? Let me tell you how we are, though. We love to listen and read of other people who pursue God. But here's the deal. As long as you're relying on someone else's pursuit, you'll never know and experience God as fully as they do. You hear me? You know, have you ever been in the scriptures and you've really dug out, you've been really confused about something, and you've just sought the Lord and you've prayed about it and you've searched the scripture, and then suddenly it comes to you, suddenly you understand the truth of the nugget that you're trying to get to, and that truth will last, it will go along with you forever, true? You'll never forget learning that about God. You'll never forget learning of that about how you walk in obedience with him. But you know, if you're always relying on someone else and you're always living vicariously through someone else who's seeking and pursuing God and you're kind of living through them secondhand vicariously, you'll never experience the fullness of God that they are. You and I individually, we have to be pursuing God. There's no other way to experience his fullness. You'll never know all of his hope until you're, until you're pursuing him. You'll never know his security until you're pursuing him. You'll never know all of his providence for you, how he provides for you. You'll never know it fully unless you're, you're fully pursuing him. You'll never know the fullness of his hope. You'll never know the fullness of his grace. You'll never know the fullness of his purpose and his calling for you. You'll never know any of those things, the fullness of those things, without pursuing him yourself. Not waiting for someone else to do it for you, but yourself. But if you pursue him, you can know all of those things. Yeah? If you pursue him, he'll come near to you. James chapter 4 says this, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Isn't that an incredible promise? If you come near to God, as you approach him, he's approaching you. As you walk toward him, he's walking toward you. And he says, I'll be found by you. I'll make myself available to you. I'll let you find me and I'll let you see my glory and my majesty. I'll let you experience the fullness of my grace and my mercy and the hope and the significance that there is in knowing me. I'll let you see all of it if you'll pursue me. If you'll draw near to me, you'll know it all and you'll experience it in greater fullness than you've ever known. Yeah? Can I tell you, Christians, some of you have never pursued God on your own. Some of you have pursued God through other people all your life, and you didn't know you were supposed to do it on your, on your own. Let me tell you this morning, this is an individual effort as well as a group effort. But you and I have to be dedicated to this thing in our lives. We have to be dedicated to what Paul wrote about, I press on to take all of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. I press on. It was Paul. He, he felt it. It was one of the goals, one of the purposes of his life is I want to take hold of that reason for which Christ Jesus took, of, took hold of me. And he didn't hang around with the other apostles, having them tell him how to do it, having them tell him, uh, you know, interpret scriptures. And all of those things are good. It's good for us to be around other people. But listen, this is much an individual effort as it is a team effort. Amen. You and I have to be involved in pursuing God. If you're relying on someone else, you're never going to experience his fullness. You're never going to know all of him. Someone else is always going to be pressing in deeper, knowing him more, and you're never going to get there in this life. Yeah? But if you'll pursue him, he'll come near to you. 
Listen, Christianity is not a passive faith. Christianity is not a faith that, that we sit back on our laurels and wait for someone to, to pick us up and carry us to the, next, uh, to the next level in our Christian walk. If you're not doing it, it's not going to work for you. If you're not pursuing God, if you're not chasing after him and pursuing him, you're not going to know him much better. It is an act of faith. It is, it is, it is full pursuit. Suit. It is active. It is leaving the past behind, like Paul says. It's pressing on. It's moving forward. Uh, it, it's advancing. It's maturing faith. And it's something that you and I are responsible for in our own lives. Yeah? Not that we can do it all ourselves. I, I, I don't want to confuse you here. Not that we can do it all ourselves. Not that we can carry it on. Not that we just put on, you know, self-discipline and say, I'm going to carry this Christianity myself. I'm going to, I'm going to become a different person. I'm going to, you know, follow God better. I'm not going to cuss at work. And, and I'm going to, you know, not cheat on my wife. And that's what this is all about. No, no, that's not pursuit of God. That's something else entirely. That's just morality. What we're talking about is just a pursuit of Jesus Christ in your life. You and I are responsible for that in our lives. Um, okay, a couple things. Following Christ is a battle. Have, you've experienced this, right? You, you've experienced this in your life. It's a battle. On one side, your sinful nature is looking anywhere but to God for significance. It's looking anywhere to God to meet those deep needs that you have. In our sinful nature, we're looking anywhere but under the sovereignty of God. And on the other side, you're feeding your, your soul with knowledge of God through the scriptures and you're meditating on his word and, uh, and you're praying to him, to, to asking him to bring transformation to your mind and your heart and your affections to love him more. Yeah, it's a battle, isn't it? Uh, it's a battle to know him because we still have this sinful nature hanging around that no, wants nothing to do with any of this, right? Uh, and it, it's a battle. What's a, what a wretched man I am, Paul would say in Romans chapter 7. Um, let me let me describe it a little bit. Um, kindling, um, you know what kindling is, right? It's dry, small stuff, right? It's straw or dead, dried pine cones or or needles or it's uh, small twigs or dried leaves. It's small, dead, dried things. Whenever you want to start a fire, if you don't have you know some gas thing, whenever you want to start a real fire, right? Like a campfire, you have to start with kindling. And so one of the first things is that if, if you're going to go build a fire, you've got to go gather kindling, and you've got to go bring it, right? You've got to go gather it, and you've got to go bring it to where you're trying to create the fire. Now, here's the important part. Kindling is not the goal, right? If you're out stranded somewhere, and, uh, and, 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 and you're, you've got to make heat because it's going to be really cold, or you've got to cook or purify your water. Anybody watch any of those, all those survivor shows that are on? I don't know what it is. I, I like those. But anyway, it, it, you know, when, those guys, whenever they gather all the, the kindling and they put it together, they're not, they don't sit back and go, oh, whew, man, I'm glad that's over. No, that's the start, right? You're still going to freeze to death if that's all you've done, right? There's got to be fire. But the first step is, is in gathering kindling. Can I tell you, disciplines are like gathering kindling. Spiritual disciplines are like gathering kindling. When you pray, and I don't mean you're just praying for what you want, but you're praying to really commune with the Lord, that's like gathering kindling. When you uh, read the scriptures, and I don't mean just sitting down so that you can check it off your, your, your to-do list for the day and you get through it and there's really been no exchange between you and God. You just did it, got it done, marked it out so you don't have to feel guilty about it. I'm not talking about that kind of reading, but when you're really reading 
the word to be transformed and praying that the Lord will use the word in you to transform your life. That's like gathering kindling. When you meditate on his word or you meditate on the goodness or the glory of Christ, that's like gathering kindling. Um, when you pray throughout the day for, and remind yourself, you know, and you ask the Lord, use me and, and let me glorify you through my life today. When you do that, that's like gathering kindling. And remember, what I'm, listen to what I'm telling you. Gathering kindling is not the goal. It's the means to the goal. And so in this kind of imperfect um, metaphor, get this. If we gather kindling and we gather kindling and we read the word and we meditate on the scriptures and, and, then, and then we wait and we ask God who in this metaphor is the only one who can bring fire and we bring the kindling, the kindling is not the goal. The goal is, is that he might begin a fire in us. Amen. Are, are you with me? It, the, the goal is that, is that he might draw near to us and he might ignite in us a, a changed heart and a changed mind, and, and that we might love him better, and that we might follow him better. And he's the one who's got to bring the fire, but we can gather the kindling. Are you with me? Again, the goal is not to gather kindling. The goal is that there might be fire. The goal is that there might be intimacy created between us and God. The goal is that there might be an affection ignited in me more than there was before for Christ. The goal is that I might have a fire lit in me by the Holy Spirit of God that I might pursue him better, that I might be better at being obedient to his word. That's the goal. That's the goal. And you and I can gather kindling and we can help out and we can begin. But the point is in the end, those things are not the goal. Are you hearing me? I know you all grew up good Baptists and you thought that your whole life was supposed to be uh, surrounded by these things. You're just supposed to witness and read your Bible and tithe. Listen, I'm telling you, those are all good and right things for us to do, but they're not the goal. The goal is that we have a hope for redemption one day. The goal is that maybe somehow God might transform my broken and messed up heart and my, 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 my fallen mind and that I might love him more tomorrow than I did today. And that's a work of his Holy Spirit. It's not something we can do ourselves. We can gather the kindling, but he's got to bring the fire. He's got to ignite it. And he's the one who brings the change by the power and the work of his Holy Spirit in us. Amen? You with me? All right. Yeah. So the goal is that we might look to him more and more and that we might know him as our great reward. Amen? Amen. All right. I'll tell you what. Um, I want to I want to take some time here to to pray for you, but um, you know we got to pray a couple of weeks ago, and I asked uh, you guys if if you were having trouble in your pursuit of God, if you would lift your hands, and I asked you to do that, and and let me tell you, a number of you, a bunch of you, um, I I don't know the percentage, maybe half of you, um, asked uh, for for us to pray for you whenever whenever um, we were talking about that. This is a difficult part of Christianity, but I want to remind you this thing. Um, in, you know, when you read the, the story of Abram, when you read the story of Abraham, um, you see uh, on about every other page, we see that God's talking to him. But here's what you don't really see unless you're paying attention. Years or decades are going by between those times. Yeah. Um, in David's life, he was anointed king when he was still a boy. He didn't assume the throne for more than a decade later. There are dry times in the lives of every person in the scriptures. Are you with me? 
Every one of us faces a, a, a time of wilderness and a time of trial and a time that, that maybe we don't necessarily hear from God or, or have these great and you know, incredible moments where we hear directly from him or, or have these mountaintop experiences. It doesn't happen like that, right? And, and I don't know kind of what's happened in the church today that we're all expecting that. Uh, but anyway, but, but the point is here is that just simple, faithful, following him and gathering kindling and being prepared for the Lord to ignite in us brings slow and steady change in us and slow and steady maturing as believers. But it doesn't happen overnight, does it? It doesn't happen like that. Apparently, we are too difficult to change that, that fast. Not really. Nothing's too difficult for God. But, uh, uh, but through struggles and through trials and through times that we're, that we're being pruned instead of bearing fruit, and we all like the times of bearing fruit and we hate the times of pruning, but through those difficulties and through tests and trials and circumstances and even through suffering, God's bringing about slow, steady change in us. And the best we can do is faithfully persevering in our faith gathering kindling and saying, Lord, ignite me, ignite it. Bring change in me. Bring a greater affection for you into my heart. Bring a greater transformation in this fallen mind of mine and let me see you more as my great reward. Okay. The next, uh, I'll tell you the next series I'm kind of excited about. uh, uh, We're going to be talking, we're just going to be talking about savoring Jesus together, what all he's done for us and what all we get to leave behind uh, because of all of his work in us. But uh, anyway, I'm excited about that. Let me pray for you today uh, before we go. And we're just going to ask the Lord just very humbly, very, very reverently this morning, just going to ask the Lord uh, to help us in our pursuit of him. Would you pray with me? Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this morning. And uh, Father, we thank you for the teachings of your scripture. We thank you most of all, Lord God, that you've not eluded us. You've not decided that you didn't want the mess that we came with. Um, you, you haven't decided to keep yourself uh, uh, clean from, from our sin. Um, you didn't look at the, the, the train wreck that we came with, with our, in our lives and, and the sin and, and our disobedience, and you didn't look at all that stuff and say, I don't really have, want to have anything to do with you. Even in your perfections, Lord God, you accepted us there. You loved us there. Even in your perfection and even in your holiness and your perfect righteousness, you looked at us in that state and said, I love you and I'll have you because I'm going to have my son pay for your sins. I'm going to bring you into holiness and right standing with me. Lord, we thank you for your promises that when we seek you, if we look for you with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, Lord God, when we seek you, you will be found by us. Lord, we thank you for being easy to find. We thank you that you've made yourself available to us, that we may know you as our great reward, that we might come to you and we might, we might gather kindling, we might be in prayer and meditation about you, and, and we might be in, in preparation and just waiting in hopes, Lord God, that you'll bring transformation and redemption and a change in affections, Lord, in our lives. We pray that this morning. We pray that you would bring slow and steady change, Lord God, to our lives, that we might love you better, that we might serve you more, that you might be higher in our affections, that we might be like Paul to say, leaving everything else behind, I press on. Lord, let us have an active faith like that, that won't accept some vicarious relationship with you, but wants you. Lord, help us to want you, help us to desire you, help us to be uh, preparing, Lord God, for your fire to ignite in us. 
It's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. Y'all have a great week together. Thanks for being here.